It's good to be with you, and I am so grateful that I get to open God's Word with you this morning. If you would, take your Bibles and turn back to the book of Philippians, where we had our scripture reading this morning, Philippians chapter 1. We just got through singing, This is My Story. And everybody in here woke up this morning right in the middle of your story, right in the middle of what God is doing in your life. Everybody woke up this morning at some point in your story, whether it's at the beginning of your story or the end of your story, right smack dab in the middle of it, whether it's a hard time or a good time. I mean, some of you woke up this morning in the middle of a chapter or a section of your story that's just wonderful. It's full of light and laughter and hope and happiness and friendships, and you're having a great time. You love your story right now. Some of you are waking up in the middle of your story right now, and it's very difficult. It's a dark time. It's full of depression and anxiety and fear, loss, loneliness, uncertainty. Whatever it is that you find yourself, whatever place in life that you are, you're right in the middle of a story that God is writing, a story that is playing out every moment of every day. My story starts way back in Selma, Alabama. It was my, such a traumatic experience was, the, was my birth to that hospital that they tore down the hospital. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, and and I, I grew up in a home that was a Christian home. I was always in the church. I grew up as a, a, a Christian young man. I, I, I came forward and made a, a profession of faith at the age of eight years old. I was baptized shortly thereafter. I, I lived a life of, of real happiness, and uh, you know I had middle-class parents that, uh, that worked really hard at their jobs. We had everything we needed and a lot of the things we wanted. The greatest thing I think my family ever gave me was that I don't know of a day in my entire life that I wasn't loved, and that's a gift. My story has been, to this point, a fairly good story. When I went off to college, to the University of Mobile, wasn't my first choice, but it was the place that I got a scholarship to attend, one of the two. And uh, out of those two, I, I would rather have been a little bit closer to home. And so I, I went to the University of Mobile as a student. And I found there a place where I really started to feel like I belonged. It was a place where I really had a lot of happiness, a, a lot of good memories. I connected with a lot of people that were my age. I was stepping into uh, a world on my own at 17 years old. And man, that's just a bright future, right? And that's the kind of story that you can't wait to turn the page every day, like what's going to happen next. And I really had a great time going off to school. I found myself in the middle of a group of large group of Christian friends. I was more moral in college than I was in high school. And as the Lord was working on me through that stuff, he began to show me that there were some things in my life that weren't quite, quite right. Namely, that I had never submitted my life to Jesus Christ. I never believed in Jesus by faith. I had never repented of my sin and, and believed in Christ. I'd never become a Christian. And so in the middle of my college experience, I became a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. And my story started anew. For the first time, it seemed like I was seeing things in color. It was just a, a, a vividness to the world and to life around me that I had never experienced before. And beginning to see how God works in the world was a great joy. And amidst all of that, there was a lot of Bible study, there was a lot of church attendance, there was a lot of like Christian ministry stuff that we did as kids, but really enjoyed the fellowship. It was really about the people around me as we studied the Word together. My, my roommates and I would sit out on our back porch drinking sweet tea, 
And we would talk theology until 1, 2, 3 in the morning. We would do word studies and come back and give our findings on what theological point we had discovered. And we would just talk those things through. And I grew so much as a Christian in those first days of being a believer because I had people that would sharpen me. I had a fellowship. I had a a real community around me. And it was a really beautiful thing. I don't know where you are in your story today, but when we pick up the story of Paul and the story of the church back in the book of Philippians, this is, in a way, in a way our story as well. I want you to look at the first, uh, the first part of Philippians, chapter 1, and then verse 3 is where we'll start and go down to verse 5. It says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Father God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless it to us as we have just heard it. And Lord, as we hear it now preached to our hearts, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes and ears, that we would apply this truth to our own lives, that we might glorify you in the way that we live. It is our desire. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When you look at the book of Philippians, Paul, who is the great missionary, if you've been a Christian any amount of time, you know Paul. If you know the Bible, you know Paul. Paul was the the writer of many of the epistles of the New Testament, and he gave us a lot of the doctrinal uh, explanations of what we believe as Christians, and he is a great figure in the church. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. He went around the world of that day preaching the gospel, and came to Christ by Jesus himself, meeting him on the road to Damascus and, and calling him to himself and then putting him on a path of ministry and missions. And one day he got a Macedonian call, a call given to him by the Lord, just a, a miraculous vision to go to Macedonia. And he found himself in the city of Philippi. And there on the banks of a river, he met Lydia And he preached the gospel to Lydia, and the Lord opened Lydia's heart to believe the things spoken by Paul. And there, right there on the banks of that river, a church started in Philippi. Paul found himself in prison, preached to the Philippian jailer there in prison, and the jailer believed, and his whole family believed. And it added to the church. And this little church, this fledgling church in the first century, began in Philippi and began to grow. And Paul had a lot of care and compassion and joy over this church. He writes this letter really as a thank you note because they were one of the biggest supporters of Paul's ministry. They were giving uh, monetary gifts to Paul and contributing to his efforts of missions and so he could keep going around the world. And so Paul really loved this church, not because they were giving him money, but because they were faithful in the gospel. And he wrote them this letter as a thank you, but also gave them some instruction in this letter and really urged them to joy and and to have joy and to have peace in the midst of suffering and trials. And he sent it by a a good friend of his, Epaphroditus, who was going to be there in service with the church. He's asking Timothy to go and serve there at Philippi. He He was really loved this church and put a lot of his resources and time toward them. And you see that love right here in the first of the book, when he is telling them, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. He was praying for them in his remembrance of them, and he thought of them a lot. 
And in his prayer, he prayed with joy. And why did he pray with joy? He prayed with joy in verse 5 because of your partnership in the gospel. Partnership in the gospel. That word partnership is the word koinonia. You've heard that word a lot probably if you've been around. If you've heard preaching and read the word and and commentaries, and you know the word koinonia. It's the Greek word that we have here for this partnership. It's a word that really can be defined as fellowship or sharing or participation. It could be community. It could be commonality, solidarity. It's a shared responsibility among households. This word koinonia is really the stuff of our fellowship together. It's, it's really the At the heart of what Christians do when we get together, we have this koinonia together, this participation with one another. And Paul is pointing out the koinonia, the partnership that he has with the Philippians. And this being our story too, we can see that the church is given this type of fellowship. You know, it, it reminds me of going back to when I was in college. On those college campuses when you walk in, there's usually a big green space maybe called the quad, we called it the commons, right out there in the middle of the space. And everybody would just kind of get together and play football or frisbee or whatever and just hang out. We would do cookouts out there, you know, just student events, things like that. And we would just be together. And we would always go out to the commons to just hang out. We had that in, in, in like kind. We were all students at the same school, but we also liked each other. We had this fellowship together. We liked being together. Paul, in a very similar way, has this type of like-mindedness with the Philippian church and this participation in the gospel. He is, in effect, showing up on the gospel commons and hanging out with the people that he loves the best. And there's something about this partnership in the gospel that we need to stop and really like think about today. This gospel partnership requires something of us. It produces something in us, and it's something that, quite frankly, pursues something in the church. First of all, this gospel partnership requires a confession. Look at verse 5 again. Making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. It is a partnership, but not just any partnership. They don't agree on just anything. It is a partnership in the gospel. That is what defines the partnership or the fellowship or the coming together. They have to have a confession, a similar confession. If you go back in your Bible, just a couple of pages probably, to the left in your Bible, to Ephesians chapter 4, You'll see in Ephesians chapter 4 where he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He's talking about unity and a bond together. And he says in verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope. That belongs to your call. The one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You see, if we're Christians, we come back to a Christian confession. There is such a thing as truth and there is such a thing as the gospel and we must believe and confess together those truths if we are to be Christians. It is Christ and Him crucified. That is the good news. It's nothing else. It is an exclusive message that we believe. 
And so we have to have this confession, a partnership that's not just in anything, but in the gospel. Why is it so important to have a partnership in that confession? I can illustrate it this way. If you were in a POW camp and you had information that the enemy wanted to get from you, what's the best way they could get it out of you? Do they walk in with all the POWs in one room and begin demanding information? No, they're probably not going to get it that way because you can see each other's eyes. You can feel each other's strength. You can lean on one another. You know that you don't want to give up the people that you're with. But if they isolate you out, if they take you into a room and they they tell you all sorts of lies and get get you to doubt your own reality and doubt what it is that your friends have said, to doubt what kind of information has already been given, to make you fear for the safety of your friends or your family, then you might give up a lot of things. When it comes to what we believe and what we cherish and how we hold on to these things, it is always better to be in community in this. Always better to have a partnership in this gospel message because these truths, they are sometimes hard to hold. But they're easy when we come together and we bear each other up. We lean upon each other. We find strength together in this gospel partnership. So first, we just need that confession of gospel partnership. Secondly, we need a gospel partnership that produces consistency. Look again at verse 5 in Philippians chapter 1. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. From the first day until now. We believe that Philippians was probably written at the end of Paul's life, when he was in a Roman prison. This is most likely when he wrote the book and when he would have shared this book with the church. And if that's true, this church would have been somewhere in the ballpark of 10 years old. And it's not as if there were other churches in town. This was the first church in town. They were the only one there, and they had only been there for 10 years. A church plant with no other support system that had only been there for 10 years, already supporting missionaries around the world. That's pretty good stuff. But this young church for 10 years, has been following the gospel. They have been faithful. He says you have had a gospel partnership from the first day until now. It was continuing on. It was a consistency. In James uh, chapter 5, if you'll go over to to the book of James with me, look at the end of James. I'd love to to show you this. Take a ride in your Bibles. Pass the book of Hebrews James is right behind Hebrews, and land in chapter 5, and look at the very end of this chapter. Well, kind of the middle of the chapter in verse 7. James says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. So what we read when we see that, what our eye falls to is, be patient. We know that's a command. Okay, we need to be patient. Most of us probably have a need for patience, and we know that we need to be more patient. So we, we key in on that little command, be patient. But look how long we must be patient. Be patient until, until the coming of the Lord. You know what that means? That means that every day, every moment of your life, in your story, until the Lord returns, it will require patience. And we need patience in what situation? In the middle of a birthday party when we're opening presents and blowing out candles and everybody's laughing and we're all having a good time? That's usually not when you need to exercise patience. You exercise patience when you go to the dentist, right? You have to sit in a chair and they have to drill into your teeth. That's when you need patience. 
Or you need patience when you're just having to endure something difficult. Patience is something that comes to us when we need it in moments that are relatively hard. And if we're living in this world, we have to be patient because what we know is coming is glory. And when we compare glory to any day here, any part of our story, we're going to want glory over this. So be patient, he says. And look at verse verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He's saying look to yourself and establish your hearts. Strengthen yourself so that you're not falling apart. Your heart needs to be established. The inward faith that you have toward God, that you need to be strong in that. So that we have this patience that just plods along, taking one step after the other. It's not a sprint to the finish line in the Christian life. Your story is not going to end abruptly more than likely. It'll be a long, plodding course that you take. Something I learned from my dad, and I wish I had learned it better, but I still kind of work this way. He used to get so frustrated with me. and He'd watch me work out in the yard. He'd tell me, to, uh, son, I need you to rake up the leaves. Uh, you know, cut the, cut the shrubbery and then rake up the leaves. And then if you can get to blah, 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 he'd give me a little list of things to do on a Saturday. And I would always kind of put off all the things I needed to do. And I would do other things that I wanted to do. I'd play basketball for a little while and kick the ball around in the backyard with my friend or go down the street and hang out with some guys. Then I'd come back late in the afternoon and I knew I had to cut the shrubbery and rake everything up. And so what did I do? I just, I'd be cutting the shrubbery super fast and raking up everything really quickly. I'd be sweating and just a mess and my, my body would ache. And my dad would just come out so frustrated because he knew I would miss spots in the shrubbery. He knew I would miss picking up some of, the, some of the clippings on the ground, and I wouldn't do a great job. And then I would just be wearing myself out for the next day. And he used to tell me, son, I just wish you'd start earlier, and I wish you just would learn to work slow. Because a, a slow, steady pace will produce a lot more work and better work than if you just try to get after it all at once. Well, he's still teaching me that lesson. But the gospel life, this partnership in the gospel, is not a sprint. It's not something you just do at the very end. You don't put off obedience to the Lord until the very end and then just run quickly to make up the difference. Gospel living and gospel partnership is one foot in front of the other, plodding along. You might call it boring. It's not. But it's something that you do with regularity. It also pursues commonality, this gospel partnership pursues a commonality, and a commonality in two areas specifically. One is in our commission. We have a commonality in our commission, and the other is in our community. Let's look at the commonality in our commission. Look over in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. Just flip back over that way. This is right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 you'll see that the apostles or the disciples are standing around Jesus. Jesus is ready to ascend into heaven, and they ask him a question. Acts 1, starting in verse 6, they say when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He says, you will be my witnesses. This is the task that I've given you. They kind of wanted to know about the kingdom. And he said, don't worry about that for right now. Let me give you a task. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we see that he says, go and make disciples before he leaves. 
So this is our commission. It's a common commission. We have this in common together. This is part of our koinonia, that we are on mission together. He says, you will be my witnesses. He's not, singing, he's not saying that in a singular sense. The correct, the, the, the correct interpretation of that word is y'all. So y'all will be my witnesses in all the world. As y'all are going, make disciples. It's given to each and every single one of us, and it's the idea of koinonia again. It's a shared work where each one of us has a stake. Now, if you are in business with someone, or if you were writing a paper with someone, or if you were involved in any project with someone, and you both had stake in the project, or the business, or the paper, whatever it may be, some joint effort, how long does someone keep stake in the project if they never work on it? Not long, is it? You don't get to hang around in the business if you're not putting anything into it. You probably don't get to share in the good grade if you didn't participate with the paper. You don't get to hang out and be part of the, the, the koinonia without being part of the work. So if we ask ourselves, if we're in this partnership of the gospel, are we partnering in the gospel? Are we doing what Jesus has commanded us to do? And if we're not, then we can't truly say we have that koinonia because we're not truly in partnership together. But it's not only a pursuit of commonality in our commission, but a pursuit of in commonality in our community. The disciples asked the question, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were looking back. They were looking at the promises of the Old Testament. They were hopeful that Jesus would come and establish the kingdom right away. And he says, no, 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 keep your eyes fixed forward. The kingdom will come, but don't worry about that just yet. Just obey me and walk in the truth, walk in obedience together. Acts 2, 42, story of our church, the story of Christianity, the story of our faith, begins after Jesus' resurrection as day of Pentecost. The Spirit is poured out upon the apostles, and they begin to preach the gospel. 3,000 people believe by the power of the Spirit that day and are brought into the church. That's not a small number, by the way. That takes a whole lot of small group leaders. That's a lot of organization that needs to happen all at once into a brand new faith that they don't even have the New Testament to teach with. And it's Jew and Gentile trying to make, it, make sure that those two groups got along with each other. Can you imagine? But there is God through His Spirit making the church work. And in Acts 2.42 it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. That's that word, koinonia to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves to koinonia, to the participation of the gospel. They did it by gathering together. They listened to the apostles' teaching. Why? Because they needed to be established in their faith. They needed those roots to go down deep. They did it not just by listening to teaching, but by fellowship. This partnership, this togetherness, this koinonia. They came together on these gospel commons, and they shared life together. They went into each other's homes. They broke bread. They were there for each other. They sold their possessions and gave to each other any as had need so that you wouldn't find someone in the church that had great need. 
that was going to starve or that was going to go homeless. For all that were in Christ were cared for by Christ's body. The church became a family. And that family is becoming a kingdom. We tend as a church to look backwards. People, I think, tend to look backwards. Because sometimes the future is unclear and it's a little frightening. And so we tend to look back to what we can definitely identify as a good time. You do it in your relationships, right? If you're married and you're not having a good day, oh, I wish you'd treat me like you used to. We do it in our jobs. It's just not fun anymore. We do it in our churches. Oh, I wish it could have been like it was. The only problem is that's not the way time works. Time goes the opposite direction. It moves forward, and we move forward with it. But just like the disciples and Jesus, they're saying, hey, what about the kingdom? What's that going to be like? And he says, don't worry about that. Just move forward in the command that I've given you. He wants us as well to move forward in the commands he's given us. And you know where he's put First Baptist Church of Smyrna? He's put us right here in this city during this time. He's put you in this pew during this season of the world. He's given these leaders as the leaders of this church during this time. You're not here by accident. None of you are here by accident. And let me tell you something that's happening in our church that's very interesting. Somewhere in the pandemic, we started seeing maybe one or two every month to one or two every Sunday, we started seeing young families showing up in our church. I don't know why. We're not advertising it that way. We're not, we're not tapping one particular well for it. It seems to be that people are just coming out from the woodwork. We've had other people have joined our church as well, but there's been an unusual amount of young families that have come to Smyrna First, especially during the pandemic. And part of what I want us to do as a church is looking forward is saying, hey, I want us to get to know each other again. Wouldn't it be great if we really felt the koinonia that is given to us by the Spirit in what the church is supposed to be? Because we already have it, folks. It's not something we have to work ourselves up into. He's already given it to us. But if you look around this room, you'll find a lot of faces that you don't recognize. The pandemic changed our church. In some ways that we're really happy about, in some ways that we're not so happy about. But it changed us. And what we can then do is just say, the Lord has granted us this change. And let's go forward in Koinonia together. Look around the room. You see faces that you don't know, get to know them. You see people that you're not sure about, walk up to them. Introduce yourself. You know, we have one mechanism that we can do that would be an amazing way for all of us to get to know each other. We already have some of them running. They're called community groups. It's something that many of you have never been a part of, though they're not new. Everybody does them around the world. They're, they're ubiquitous in the church. And they're not new to us. They're not brand new to us. But we've changed the way that we've done ministry a little bit. So you may not have the Sunday school class you used to have. Sunday school changed a lot during the pandemic. We still want you to be in community. We still want you to have a place to, to land where you get to know people and you're there with people and serving one another. 
This Wednesday, there's going to be something very practical that you can do to connect to this idea of community groups. This Wednesday, we're sending out a link in the midweek email, and I want you to click on that link. I want you to read what's there and think about some of the options that you have about connecting to people in community groups. And then there'll be a, a bulletin or a brochure that'll be out this, in print next Sunday that you'll be able to pick up and it will give you a next step, something that you can put your name on and ask for more information, and we'll follow up with you. I would love to see every single person in this church as part of a community group. I'd love to see every single person in this church getting together with people in their homes in order to think about what has been preached and apply it to their life and to pray together and to encourage one another to be there for each other, to minister together, to weep with each other, to laugh with each other. Your story matters to everybody else in this room, and their story matters to you. This idea of participation in the gospel is not simply showing up on a Sunday morning. That's necessary, and it cannot be done away with. We have to do that. But we also need one another in real community, real koinonia. He has knit us together for this, and he has given it to us already. And I'm just calling you to think about it. And when given the opportunity to think through how we can structure ministry in such a way that we can reach every single person, man, woman, boy, and girl, that comes through the doors of our church or that we meet in the streets, that we have a place for them to land where they can be loved and they can be cherished and they can hear the gospel and they can have people help them to live a life that's honoring to the Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which they've been called, which they can't do apart from the church. They need you, and you need them. Imagine groups filled with married people and single people, old people and young people, that just meet each other's needs, that delight in one another, that laugh together and cry together over life's ups and downs. And as you turn the pages in your story, they're there with you in it. And you find that you cannot tell your story without the church, without the body of Christ, without the brothers and sisters that God has already blessed you with. If you'll simply look around and invest in them, you'll find joy everlasting, Back in James chapter 5, he says we find those to be blessed that are steadfast. Just put one foot in front of the other, but don't do it alone. Do it in the body of Christ with the true fellowship, the participation in the gospel that he's already created in us. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We praise you for all that you have done for us in Christ. We pray that as we go out from this place, we would rejoice and celebrate and praise you for the koinonia, for the participation in the gospel that we share together. Lord, make us faithful in it. Help us to be together. Help us to serve each other. Help us to be a true community of faith. That when people look at us and the way that we live our lives, they would see Christ knitting us together. People from all walks of life that have one thing in common, we have joined together in the gospel. And as we gather together on those gospel commons, we pray that you'd create a community that is eternal and everlasting. And as we look to our stories, 
we just pray that the community of our church would be the greatest end to the story of all time. That that kingdom come would put the final touch on the story of our life in this place. And then we can begin a story with no end. So, Father, in all these things, we ask that you would speak to us, open our hearts and our eyes, our ears to hear, to see, to experience what you have for us through this community. And, Lord, as we do that, we give you all glory and praise and honor.